We have been in this series called Deep Love, talking about building God-honoring, healthy relationships. Now, I just warn you right up front, today's not going to be too much of a feel-good sermon, but I think it will be a very helpful sermon if you'll listen, if you'll pay attention, if you'll really uh, try to be open uh, to what it is that God's trying to say to you. We always pray uh, be our, before our services that God would speak through me. I ask God to let his words flow through me, that the words that come out of my mouth would be his words, not my own. And so I pray that uh, that will happen and that it will minister to your heart, that it will touch you, that it will help you uh, in some way. We've been on, a, on this series talking about four different uh, topics. We've already talked about personality and communication. If you missed those sermons, you'd like to catch up with them. They are on our website at uh, fogkc.com. So if you would like to go listen to those, it's fogkc.com. You can go hear those from the last couple of weeks. And uh, today we're going to talk about everybody's favorite thing, conflict. Now it's really interesting uh, that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You know, our marriages are kind of like that too. I mean, everybody wants a happy, healthy marriage but almost nobody wants to do what's necessary to make it happen. Wow. That's just, that's just amazing to me. We dream, we yearn, and we hope for this Hollywood romance ending to our relationships and, you know, kind of just this, uh, you know, wonderful, perfect thing. But none of us wants to do really what's needed to get us there. Uh, and I don't want to say maybe, maybe no, nobody, but most of us don't want to do that. So I want to talk today about conflict and I hope that this will help you. Uh, let's talk and get started right away. Here's the first point I want you to see. Conflict is inevitable. You know, in a story, uh, conflict is actually helpful. It helps to create interest. Uh, it creates the necessary tension that later gets resolved and kind of moves the story along. In fact, in most uh, stories or, or even movies, if there wasn't some kind of conflict, it would just be, you know, if you just watched two hours of somebody like living happily, everything's fine, you'd be, go, man, I want my money back. That's a boring movie, right? So, so uh, conflict is almost necessary. In fact, I would even say that in relationships, especially like marriage, conflict is a vital aspect of that relationship. Now, I know that some of you who are, might be single here today go, oh, they're talking about marriage. I'm just going to turn this off. Listen, these principles that we've been talking about are the same for all deep relationships. Uh, no, these probably won't work with the, the gal at the drive-thru at McDonald's, okay? But all of the deep and meaningful relationships that you have, these principles still apply, so don't do me out yet. Uh, so one can make the argument that when two people are able to experience and resolve conflict, it actually builds trust and security in the relationship. You know, you've got kind of a, a record, in a sense. It proves to both parties that the relationship can survive challenges and disagreements. It actually becomes more secure because we have this history, this, these records of times that we've worked through uh, conflict. So don't avoid the inevitable. By the way, some of you avoid conflict at all costs, don't you? And I always, when I say things like that, I always wait to see about five people in the congregation look at their spouse. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> Hope you're listening, honey. That's you he's talking about. Okay? But I want to encourage you, don't avoid the inevitable. Don't avoid the inevitable. It, 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 here's why. It just doesn't go away. It, it doesn't just vanish. Oh, you can sweep it under the rug for a little while, but it festers and it eventually comes to the surface bigger and badder than it ever started out to be. Healthy conflict can even lead to a deeper level of intimacy if it's handled correctly. 68% of ongoing conflicts in a close relationship, like marriage, are due to our different personalities. 
That's why it's important to understand one another and have some empathy, like we talked about in week one and, and some in week two. Now, we've encouraged you all to take the deep love assessment uh, uh, about your marriage. And, and by the way, when you take the assessment, all of the answers that you answered to your assessment are private to you. We can't see those. But what we do get is a church-wide uh, kind of report. So it tells us uh, about us as a group, okay? It talks about that. And, and I got to be honest with you, even less than 40% of our congregation who've taken this feel really incredibly great about their relationships, their marriage relationship. In fact, I don't want to bore you with all the statistics, but the reality is, folks, unfortunately, people in the church don't seem to do relationships much better than people on the street. But it's important for us to understand one another, and that will help. Now, I don't have a Bible verse that really supports this fact that conflict is inevitable, but do we really need a Bible verse for that? I mean, if I were to say to you, hey, do you know water is wet? I don't need to point to John 14, 6 that says water is wet. You know water is wet, right? It's just absolutely uh, so obvious. This is obvious too, folks. If you are in a relationship with anybody that has any depth to it at all, conflict is part of it. And I would say that the deeper and closer the relationship, probably the more conflict resides. That's why it's important to learn to disagree agreeably. Learn to disagree agreeably. Now, I talked about some of those that avoid conflict, but let's just be really honest. Some of us love conflict, don't we? We, we can, oh, now the other, oh, they're looking at the other couple. Now, the, the other part of the spouse. Uh, you know, the couple, uh, some of us really kind of thrive on conflict because we love kind of working it out. Ooh, a new puzzle, a new, a new challenge. Let's figure this out and talk through this and all do that kind of thing. Now, Ronald Reagan said this. Peace is not the absence of conflict, it is the ability to handle conflict by peaceable means. So don't think that, hey, uh, to really have peace in our home, we just need to avoid the conflict, pretend like it doesn't exist. No, 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 that's not it at all. It's embrace the conflict and learn how to deal with it by peaceable means. That will bring peace to your home. Look how important it is to God to resolve our conflict, especially in close relationships. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24 says this. So, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, this is a very interesting uh, uh, verse. In a Bible that says from beginning to end, God is preeminent. God deserves first place in everything. God should be our first consideration when we rise. God should be our last consideration when we lay our heads down on the pillow. In a Bible that teaches that from cover to cover, here he says, if you come to worship me and you realize that somebody has something against you, set it down, pause, go and make it right, then come back and worship me. Wow, that is really uh, amazing. Even before we worship God and bring him an offering, we are to go and make things right in our relationships. That's how important relationships are to God, folks. And, and the interesting thing about this verse, it says, if you come to offer your, uh, give your offering, it doesn't say, and if you remember you have something against somebody, you don't even have to be the one wrong. If you know somebody's got something against you, you set it down, you go and make it right, and then you come back and worship me. That's how important relationships are. 
Listen, we are never going to agree on everything with everyone. In fact, I, I would guess if we got 10 people in a room and, and threw out 10 controversial subjects, we couldn't find any 10 of us that agree on 10 things, even our spouses. But we can get along with everyone, folks, and God expects that out of his children, especially for those of us who claim to be his followers. We have to learn to fight fair, not dirty. 93% of couples who, quote, fight dirty will be divorced within 10 years, according to researchers at the University of Utah. Did you hear that? 93% of couples that fight dirty will be divorced within 10 years. Another study at Ohio State University shows that unhealthy marital arguments contribute significantly to a higher risk of heart attacks, headaches, back pain, and a whole slew of problems, not to mention unhappiness. So, gentlemen, when your wife says, you are a pain in my... It's factual. I mean, Ohio State University says so. In fact... Researchers can now predict with 94% accuracy, do you hear that? 94% accuracy, whether or not a couple will stay together based solely on how they fight. You see, folks, how you work through conflict determines whether your inevitable conflict will damage or deepen your relationships. If you handle them badly and you fight dirty, it will damage your relationships. If you learn to fight fair and fight in a Christ-like manner and argue and disagree in a Christ-like manner, folks, it can actually deepen your relationships. Now, I'm not going to go through this list exhaustively right now and explain all of them in detail, but I wanna, I'm going to publish it for the community groups this week, and I just want to kind of go through it pretty quickly. But here's kind of some, some examples of what it means to fight fair and what it means to fight dirty. The goal of people who fight dirty is winning. I just want to win. When we get in this disagreement, I don't even care if I'm right or not. I want to win. And those who learn to fight fair, they don't care about re winning. They care about resolving. Now, I don't quote Dr. Phil very much, but I love one of the things that Dr. Phil says consistently. When somebody says, when I do this, it causes all these problems in my life. He says, how's that working for you? Listen, if you, if you always have to win and that's not working for you, change your, change your strategy, folks. If we stay on topic, fighting dirty means that we talk about surface issues. Fighting fair means we talk about the underlying issues. Most of the time, when couples come in and ask for counseling, uh, they start talking about, oh, he doesn't do enough things around the house. Oh, he doesn't help with the kids. Oh, she nags me all the time. All these surface issues. And when we really spend time talking, those are not the real issues. I, I, I have never seen anybody go to divorce court because he simply didn't unload the dishwasher one more time. I, it just doesn't happen, folks. Those are not the issues. Those are just results of the issues. The emphasis for somebody who fights dirty is power and control. They want to be in charge. And for those who fight fair, it's the issues. Let's talk through the issues and figure out how to resolve them. Uh, when it comes to attitude, fighting dirty, that person's always defensive always defensive. And a person who fights fair is receptive. Now, I'll tell you, in the conflict that Julie and I have, I'm at fault over 50% of the time. So when we have conflict and we begin to discuss, I just got to shut my mouth and turn on my ears and go, I need to listen. Is this me? Am I doing something again? 
Okay? That's not always me, but it's me a lot, okay? Um, when it comes to uh, motivation, people that want to fight dirty, they blame shift. They want to blame everybody else. Uh, blame everybody else in every other situation. People who fight fair take responsibility and are willing to say, listen, I, I messed up. I treated you badly here. For those who fight dirty when it comes to the mode, uh, they want to belittle each other. And those who fight fair uh, learn to respect each other. And I'm going to talk about this belittling here in just a few moments. But there's no, no call for that, folks, ever, especially for a Christian. Uh, when it comes to manner, those who fight dirty are egocentric. It's all about them. And those who fight fair are empathetic. Uh, in the first uh, sermon, we talked about how knowing each other a little better, knowing each other's personality helps us to be more empathetic with each other, helps us to understand each other a little better. Uh, the word there, empathetic, second one, is wrong. Uh, when it comes to fighting dirty, you know, when it comes to our demeanor, uh, people who fight dirty are self-righteous, and people who fight fair are understanding. They're understanding. People who fight dirty when it comes to side effects, uh, they just like to escalate. And those who fight fair learn to ease the tension. Now, I teach couples that we communicate in, in uh, uh, cycles. We communicate in spirals. And what happens sometimes is when we've got these underlying issues that we don't ever deal with, this conflict that we don't resolve, we make comments to one another, and it starts something, and then they comment back, and then they comment back, and here we go, and down the spiral we go. And it only takes one person to go, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to turn it and go up. And if you can get that spiral moving up and communicate upwardly, being understanding of one another and loving to one another, it can really change the whole conversation. Those who fight dirty, the result of their fighting or their conflict is discord. And those who fight fair, it brings harmony to the relationship. For those who fight dirty, the benefit at the end of the day is stagnation. And if not stagnation in the relationship, uh, defeat. And for those that fight fair, it brings growth. I'm going to give this chart um, to your community group leaders. I'm going to send it out to them with some notes and things. I want you to talk about these more in your community groups. I wish we had an extra two hours to talk about them in depth and give you examples of all of them, but we don't have time for that today. But you can see, folks, that uh, somebody who fights dirty and somebody who fights fair, it's just a whole different approach to conflict. It's a whole different approach to conflict. Now, why do we do this? Uh, these are the nuts and bolts of conflict and how it how we can deal with it, but there's something of greater importance that matters more, and that's the source. And folks, the source of this uh, poor conflict management, this fighting dirty, is that pride is the source of our conflict. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not have, receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Folks, the Bible's very clear here. The source of every quarrel and conflict in our lives is the fact that we are prideful. The fact that we want what we want when we want it, and we want it now. Now, that's just a part of being a human being. But folks, as Christians, for those of us who have decided to give our lives to Christ, we, we should act with a new... Author C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. 
In the chapter by that title in his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis says this. He says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Wow. Pride is not a little thing, folks. Pride is a big thing. Pride is a big thing. And, and I want us to just kind of talk about this for a couple of minutes because I think how we deal with this is how we view it. How we approach it is what our mind is set on. And folks, I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about this. It's just not about you. It's about Jesus. Folks, listen. God is for you. He, he is on your side. He is for you. But life is not about you. It just isn't. It never has been. The reality is we've come to believe that marriage is more about self-gratification and less about self-sacrifice. I've never had someone come to my office and say they're leaving their spouse because they're just not living up to their end of the bargain and their spouse deserves better. Nobody has ever come in and said, you know what, I'm just a jerk. I'm leaving my wife because she's the sweetest thing in the world and she deserves better than me and I've tried to not be a jerk, but I can't help it, I'm just a jerk. I don't help around the house, I don't do what she asked me to do. I call her names, I treat her badly, she deserves better, I'm leaving. I've never heard anybody say that. What I have heard is, my spouse is the cause of all my problems. And in fact, usually the first two counseling sessions are getting them to stop focusing everything on the other person and focus a little bit on themselves. This is just part of our sinful human nature. We view marriage as a relationship primarily about getting rather than primarily about giving, which, folks, is, is selfishness at our core. Our marriages are primarily messed up, and like I said before, the churches aren't any better, because we don't see our marriages through the lens of the gospel. We don't see, uh, I don't see Michael, I need to be a husband uh, not based on what Julie needs, but based on what Christ wants me to be, who he saved me to be. We cannot treat our spouse's feelings and desires with contempt, folks, and say we are followers of Jesus. We can't do it. We just can't do it. You can't just treat your spouse like dirt or like their needs aren't important and say you're following Jesus. It can't be done. They're in contradiction with one another, folks. By the way, let me just talk for a minute about, about men. Guys, I understand that we're all in process. And I understand that, that we all have ways to grow. I admit that I have ways to grow too. But one of the things that I've seen really in the last 10 years kind of catch fire in families, and even Christian families, is, is guys with terrible tempers who call their wives' names. Uh, guys, if, you, if you're doing that, you need to stop that today. I don't even have to talk about putting your hands on your wife, okay? That, that should stop today. Think about it. If you have a daughter and some guy shows up at your house and goes, hey, where's that blankety-blank little blank that I'm here to take to dinner? How are you going to react? 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to find his body months from now. <laughs> right? Right? And yet, some of the men in this room call God's children that when they speak to their wives like that. Gentlemen, that should stop today. Stop right here, right now, in this very moment. You should make a decision in your heart. I'm going to treat my wife with love and respect. Well, I'm not always going to agree with her. I'm not always going to see her side of things. But I can always treat her with love and respect. There is no excuse for that, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Folks, great, close, intimate, fulfilling relationships are way more than following in a chart of how to fight fair or studying a marriage assessment. It's about reflecting the self-sacrificing love and grace of Jesus to the second greatest gift God has given us, second only to the wonderful gift of his son, whom he gave to save us from our sins. Julie is the second greatest gift he has given to me, and she should be treated as such. Folks, every single one of you in this room should treat your spouse that way. What I'm trying to say, folks, is, listen, these things help, but it's not about this. This isn't going to change your marriage. This isn't going to revolutionize your life. But you know what will? This will. This will change your marriage. This will change your life. This will transform it and make it into something new. We can't look for answers well, you know, listen, I'm all about, you guys, those of you who know me, you know I am all about assessments and help and all, this, all these tools are helpful. But this, this, has never, this will never change a human heart. Never, never. But I've seen this change a human heart many, many times, including my own. It's not about assessing. It's about how we relate to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, God is for you. He is on your side. But life is just not about you and me. It's just not. It's, about who, being who, it's not about being who my wife wants me to be as much as it is about who Christ saved me to be. I know some of you are saying, but pastor, you don't know my wife. You, you don't know my husband. That would be tough. You, you don't know, it, loving them is just tough. You, you don't think this was tough? Listen, folks, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but everything in life that's worthwhile is tough. I, I just haven't experienced anything in my life it just came to me so easy, and, and, and it was somehow wonderful for me. Being a good spouse is not just an understanding and assessment and some gobbledygook about personalities. It's about letting God's Spirit and His Word change us from the self-centered, self-serving egotist we used to be to His self-sacrificing, serving, loving children He saved us to be. The main reasons we have conflicts that lead to problems, frustration, and eventually divorce is because we refuse to be who Christ wants us to be. Folks, it's not more complicated than that. It is not more complicated. That is just the bottom line. We refuse to be who Jesus wants us to be, who he saved us to be. When people come to me and they say, listen, I'm, I'm tired, man. I, 
Pastor Michael, I, I've tried. Man, I, I've tried for weeks. I've tried for months. I've tried for years to get along with this person. I am tired of the conflict in my home. I am tired of the conflict with my spouse. I don't even care what God's word says anymore. I'm leaving them. I'm done. Folks, that is the height of idolatry. When we say, I know what God wants, but I worship myself enough to choose differently because I want it more. Folks, that's idolatry. We are worshiping ourselves and our own desires and passions more than we were worshiping him. When you say, I don't care what God wants, I'm going to do what I want, God help you. Church conflict is inevitable. We can't avoid it. But how we deal with it and how it affects our relationships, especially our marriages, is a pure reflection of who really owns us. You've ever thought about that? It's really about who owns me. This afternoon or tomorrow when Julie and I have a difference of opinion about something or whatever, we have some conflict, the way I act in that moment is a whole lot less. I, I know we hear, you know, we, we get all this mushy, gushy stuff from Hollywood, and, and it's not because, oh, I just, I, I just have such a great, passionate love for her that I always act right. That's just not real life, folks. None of us think that way. None of us act that way. But we can act and think in a way of, because God sent his son to die on a cross to pay for my sins, he not only bought me eternal life when I put my faith and trust in him, but he's offered to change my life today. In fact, if I really do side out, I can't even help but change. I can't stop the change completely because God's welling up inside me. And so when that conflict takes place, my thinking and my, 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 my thought pattern has to be, God, who do you want me to be in this moment? How do you want me to act in this moment? How do you want me to react in this moment? You see, it doesn't matter what Julie does. I still should be who he created me to be. And when we take our vows when we get married, uh, I've never been to a wedding, and I've been to a lot of weddings over the years, folks. Uh, uh, I've been in a lot of weddings over the years, and I used to be a wedding singer back in the 80s. Uh, so I've been to a lot, a lot, a lot of weddings, all right? Never have I been to a wedding where they take the vows and they're all uh, just uh, what ifs. Hey, listen, I will love you, uh, uh, money or no money, good or bad, as long as you do your part. There's, there's never any of that going on. We say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to act this way towards you. And by the way, in every wedding I think that I've ever seen, and certainly every wedding that I've ever performed, I say at the beginning of the wedding, you're doing this in front of God and these witnesses. Folks, when we take our wedding vows, we're making promises to our spouse in front of God. And it's not dependent on how they act. It's only dependent on who he is. Folks, if you've come here today and, and you're hoping that this thing will turn around your marriage, you're hoping that this thing will somehow set everything right and get you guys off to a, a much better life? Or even coming and talking to the pastors is going to uh, somehow change everything? You're going to be terribly disappointed. I'm sorry. But folks, let me tell you something. I don't know anybody who's ever been disappointed 
about the cross. I don't know anybody who's ever really, totally, and completely, sincerely come and said, God, help us. Help us each to be who you created us to be, who you saved us to be. I have never seen that fail. Folks, God wants to help you. But he is for you. Life is not about you. And when we get that, when we really understand that, folks, it'll just change our whole thought process. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because I'm going to have them sing a song here as we end our service. We don't do this a lot around here, but I wanted to do this today. As they begin to uh, uh, sing and play, I want to give you an opportunity to just come down here to the front. And you can stand or, or you can kneel here in the front and just pray. Pray by yourself or pray with your spouse. By the way, don't let Satan get into your head and go, oh, I'd love to go pray with my spouse and pray for a better relationship, but if I do that, everybody's going to know we have problems. Guess what? We already know you have problems. Okay? It's not going to be a surprise to anybody. Okay? By the way, if you don't think you have problems, surprise. You're one of those people that avoids conflict and pretending you don't have any problems. Okay? But as long as you're in a relationship with people, folks, you're going to have conflict. We know that. So don't be afraid to come. I don't want to twist anybody's arms. We're not a church about manipulating people. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Because when I hear a sermon like this, I, man, I've heard it twice now today. And, and I'm just like, God, help me. Help me be a better man. Help me be a better follower of you. Help me be a better husband and father and grandfather. I, I am just so messed up so messed up with my own humanness. But folks, Jesus is there to take that humanness and transform it into something beautiful because that's what he wants to do for us. Not perfect. I can't imagine what it would be like to be married with, to me if I wasn't a Christian. Uh, I, I, well, I probably wouldn't be. So folks, we want to give you an opportunity. So as, the, as they begin to sing and play, I just want you to listen. And if you want to come down here and and pray, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. So why don't you stand? And as they begin to sing and play, feel free to come and pray. Ask God to transform your life by this.
comfortable coming down, if you want to just pray right there, just grab your spouse by the hand and pray with him. Ask God to transform your relationship. Sin and Father, we, we just acknowledge to you how desperately we need your help. God, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. It changes everything. It changes everything about history. It changes everything about us because you saved us. You loved us. God, help us to realize that life is not about us. It's about you. You were the first to love. You were the first to give. Help us to be good responders to who you want us to be, who you saved us to be. Father, I pray that you would transform our relationships.
that you would help us to be better husbands and wives, better friends, better neighbors, better family members. And that people would see that it's you in us that makes the difference. That you would receive glory and honor for you are preeminent over everything and everyone. We're thankful for this time we've had to look introspectively. And I pray that it will stay with us and that we will change the way we do relationships. Again, Lord, we are so thankful for your patience with us that you are the God of a thousand chances. Thank you for being patient with me and giving me another chance today to live for you and to treat my wife and my children and my grandchildren and the people in my life like you want me to. God, help us all do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated for just a moment. Listen, if you're here this morning and you, uh, when you hear us talking about um, knowing Jesus and putting our faith and trust in him as our Savior, and that's foreign language to you or that's a foreign concept to do, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. And so on that connection card, there are some boxes on the back of that. And you can just check one of those boxes that says, I want to talk with one of the pastors, or I'd like to know what it means to give my life to Christ, or whatever the box says there, and we will get in touch with you. Uh, thank you. Uh, not, a, not every sermon you come to here at Fellowship of Grace is a downer like this one, uh, but I think there's times when we just need to be challenged. Uh, like I said, I've heard this twice now, and I've been challenged both times, and it's been good for me. I hope it's been good for you.